The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Yeah, he was he was doing really well. I mean, you know, 12 carries. You look at it and, you, you know, you say, man, we, we really should have given him the ball more than that. Um, you know, we've been on the field a lot, uh, and we've had a lot more plays. You know, we had 58 plays, I think. Um, some of the situations in the game um, at the end there, especially we're kind of in a two-minute type mode. You know, so when you look at it and you come out of there, 26 pass, 26 runs, 29 passes, you know, that's pretty balanced. Um, you know, some of those, you know, because of Brian and how he was running, you know, looking back at it, yeah, you, you, sh- you would have liked him to touch it, touch it more. That was Scott Turner yesterday, Tommy. I was really interested in hearing what he would be asked and how he would answer some of the questions. Specifically, you know, for me, the biggest, you know, issue I had from Sunday night's game after the turnovers, which, you know, I, I emphasized and you felt the same way, Brian Robinson Jr. <laughs> averaging seven and a half yards per carry and only getting the ball 12 times. Well, upon further review, Scott feels like maybe, just maybe we should have given him <laughs> the ball a little bit more than that. You know, it's, I think it's rare to hear that. Um, and, and I would bet you that, you know, Rivera probably said something to him um, because I think Rivera gives his coordinators a shitload of autonomy. I think there's a lot of autonomy there. And I think, you know, at the end of the game and Ron looks at the stat sheet and he looks at it and says, well, what, how did we get away from that? You know, sometimes it's not so easy. Sometimes it's, well, we didn't have the ball. You know, our defense couldn't get off the field, which, by the way, was the case during a very long drive in the first half. You know, an eight-minute drive in the first half. Sometimes it's... 97 yards. Yes. Sometimes it's we turned the ball over too much and our drives were shortened. Or, you know, we had too many penalties, so we were in first and 20 or second and 20. And, you know, you can't hand the ball off in those situations. And sometimes the answers are... you didn't hear that. No, you didn't. didn't hear that from him. Well, because it wasn't true. He didn't didn't get... He didn't get up there and say he was a victim of circumstance. No, and I think okay. and 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 I think that's one of the reasons on Monday I I like I went through to make sure and whenever cuz I really I I think I mentioned this on Monday and I forget if I mentioned it to you on Tuesday. I'll never forget and I think it was Sonny that was probably on with both of us, but it could have been a pregame show that I did with Sonny. And Sonny just said, "We never know what we think we know when we criticize play calling." 
he said there's just so much oh, more is, to it. This is my thing. Yeah. This is my thing with all sports. This is what I argue about baseball all the time. We don't know the conversations that are taking place, the context, and we'll never know them. But, you know, Ron is one of the things, and, and I, this kind of drives you crazy sometimes, I know, but Ron is pretty wordy in his explanations and his discussions. Yes, he is. And I think it's good for, I think he's very good for journalists. I think he tries to accommodate them when, really, I'm sure you and maybe other people don't think he really should as much as possible. So it's not surprising that he would encourage or at least be okay with his coordinators doing that. Now, the defensive guy is not very worthy. He doesn't even <laughs> no. want to talk about last week. No. You know, when by the, by the time he gets to reporters on Thursday, last week is a memory, and he doesn't want to discuss it. In your, he literally says, that's last week. In your, I don't want to talk about it. In your experience, coaches, managers who are super wordy, have you found them to be successful coaches and managers or unsuccessful more often than not? Successful because it, it, it means they have a level of confidence and they don't, they, they don't have a level of fear. You know, the guys who are worried about losing their jobs with every word they say, the team can smell that fear. Okay. Now, now, really, Carrillo, you think they smell Carrillo it with Belichick? You think they smell it with Belichick? No, he just had no. That's contempt. That's different than fear. Okay. But Belichick had contempt. Well, I'm not for, asking for, you for about. I'm else. not asking you about motive. I'm asking you about whether or not the the less wordy coaches and managers are more successful or less successful. I mean, if you go through, like Joe Gibbs was not super wordy. You know, he was very, he was very he was, guarded, very he guarded. Was, he, but, but he was not abrupt. He was not abrupt. I'm not saying abrupt. I'm just saying very guarded okay. in terms of the information and, and, and not really, accom- you, you use the word accommodating journalists. Gibbs didn't accommodate right. jur- journalists. Belichick certainly doesn't no, accommodate no, journalists. Didn't. Tom Landry no, didn't accommodate ju- uh, journalists. I mean, Chuck no, Knoll probably didn't uh, accommodate journalists. P- Parcells probably did. You know what? What? You know what? You know who did? Who? Mike Leach did. <laughs> yes, he did. Mike Leach. <laughs> right. Okay. But, but, but that was for a different reason. That was to be entertaining, talking about Halloween candy. No, I, I, I think that uh, Ron has a certain level of trust and confidence. Uh, and he may say the wrong thing at times. But I, I don't. It doesn't surprise me that Scott and Scott growing up in the game with North Turner, who I mean, Norv, you know, used to drive fans nuts. But reporters like Norv, okay, because he pretty much would give them a, a good explanations as to what was going on. So mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me that Scott is that way. I, I think sometimes you know, Del Rio must must look at him when when they walk by each other. After, you know, during after when they, when they meet with reporters, I don't know how it happens. What took you so long? Real must look at them <laughs> and think, think. You know, my God, you what? You know, why, why don't you just shut up? <laughs> well, yeah, like, why did yours take so long? Um, mine was yeah. over in four minutes. I, I I think that I think some coaches, though, and I'm not suggesting that this is Ron or even Scott. I think some coaches end up talking so much because they're being defensive. And, you know, they're, they're trying to give a side to sort of refute what the narrative is about them. 
But in this particular case, I mean, going back to you know uh, the, the the play calling, there just wasn't much of a reason why you wouldn't have given it to him. All of the reasons suggested you should have kept giving it to him. So at least he recognizes it. And, you know, it's funny. I, I do like Scott Turner. I think Scott Turner is a competent offensive coordinator. Sorry, Paulie. Um, I do. I mean, it seems like our fan base, for whatever reason, just gets on these unbelievable, um, you know, sort of anti-coordinator, uh, you know, rants and positions. It, they all hated Kyle because, of course, it was nepotism. They couldn't stand Sean McVay. You know, it's been one after another. Like, it, for whatever reason, we we leave the head coaches alone. I'm not saying we do that because people are all after – they've been after Rivera and Gruden and Shanahan and, and Zorn and the whole thing. But, man, I mean, the coordinators, the offensive coordinators in particular, have taken a pounding, and every single person in this town that ripped all of the previous coordinators was dead wrong. Dead wrong. I mean, the the anti-Kyle, you remember, we were doing a show together. I remember people on our air saying, this guy is in way over his head. There's only one reason yep. he has the job. One reason. Yep, I remember that. And I'm like, wait a minute. After he, after he had turned Matt Schaub into a Pro Bowl <laughs> quarterback in Houston. That's what I kept saying during that whole time. I'm like, seriously, did you see what he did with Matt Schaub in Houston? Yes. Like everybody. And what did Matt Schaub do after that? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, people thought the same about Sean McVay. I mean, you know, the, the, out of all of the, the, you know, future head coaches that were in the building, the one that I wasn't so sure about was Kevin O'Connell. Like, I never was blown away. Sean, like, I had enough conversations with Sean to know what Cooley had said on the air when Sean was the tight ends coach. And that is, if anybody interviews him, he's going to be a head coach within a week or within a day after he's hired. I mean, Cooley's like, he suggested maybe we should hire Sean now and make Jay Gruden the offensive coordinator when Jay was the head coach. (laughs) And, um... And Kyle always was obvious to me. Um, Matt LaFleur wasn't obvious to me at all. Mike McDaniel, you know, I've told everybody about that conversation that we had outside our studio, and he was just such a bright guy. But, you know, Mike was the one that said he's going to be the head coach. But, you know, we couldn't have seen that. KOC, though, Kevin O'Connell was never – look, remember, he didn't get the job as the offensive coordinator um, uh, from Ron. Ron didn't want to keep him on as the coordinator. You know, and and so so Sean ended up hiring him, and I'm I, I don't yeah. think Kevin O'Connell was in line to be a head coach anytime soon until the Rams won the Super Bowl last year. You know that that's what did it more Prob- than anything else. Probably he's doing and a great he's done job, a pretty good job in Re- Minnesota, excellent job because they're they're doing it with smoke and mirrors and a great quarterback, an outstanding quarterback, a pro <laughs> a Pro Bowl quarterback. <laughs> A Pro Bowl quarterback. Yes. Um, I'm, ex- I- I'm excited for the-, the Pro Bowl stories for Washington, and I want to get to that in a minute because the video that the team put out was outstanding. But just one last thing um, on Scott Turner. You know, I, I think he is ready to, you know, I think they're going to yank Heineke at the first sign of trouble on Saturday, especially if they're down. I, I believe they think Wentz is ready to go, that he's far along in understanding the offense. And, you know, he said some nice things about Carson Wentz, you know, yesterday during his, his uh, presser. Um, I just hope 
that on in the game Sunday, Saturday, he rolls out everything he's got with Taylor. Give him every single chance to to succeed, and I think that means Taylor's got to become a significant part of their run game on Saturday, or yeah. they're not going to have yeah. a chance. But okay, here's you don't think that. Look, I mean, they have to see what we see. I know they see a lot of stuff that we don't see, but they have to see that we see, and what we see in the sense that Carson Wentz would be a sacrificial lamb. And let's say they're going to put Carson Wentz in the game if they're behind, all right? Mm -hmm. So they're going to already be behind. So they're already going to have to throw the ball, and the 49ers pass rush is going to know that, and he would be a sacrificial lamb. It'd be like putting Alex Smith in against the Rams a few years ago. No, it ago. wouldn't. That's it, not a good comparison. It would be close. That's not it a good comparison. It would be close. Alex couldn't move. I, Carson can well, move. Carson Wentz can barely. He can barely move. Carson that is not. Different. He's not. He's not going in the game. Because if they're behind, they're not putting. They're going to give Carson Wentz a full week to prepare as the starter against an easier opponent in Cleveland. Carson's because a pro. He's not going to help them win. Carson's against, a, against the 49ers Saturday. Carson's a pro. Happen. Scott Turner said Carson's a pro. He's played a lot. It's just as long as whenever he was physically ready, I think he's ready to go if we need him. We have confidence in Carson if we need to play him, that he's going to be able to step in he's and go. He's not coming in the game Saturday. Um, I, I would say 60-40 he's not. I think there's a 40% chance he does. 95-5. Okay, well, I'm at less than that. This idea, though, that he is like Alex Smith was on one leg is ridiculous. Now, is Carson as mobile as he was three years ago? No, and that was obvious this year, early in the year. But people that are are making him out and describing him as a statue, he's not that. He actually has more yards rushing per game than Taylor does this year. So, because he has to, he's had to avoid more sacks. Well, because the offensive line was really bad and the defense wasn't very good early on, and they had to throw the football more. And he right, wasn't the offensive comfortable. Line isn't any better. It's not that much better. That's oh, okay. true. It's true. That's true. He's comfortable. That's good. I'm glad he's comfortable now. Well, he's more Are comfortable. You comfortable. I'm saying with the. Fo- I'm not comfortable right now, actually, with you. But there are a lot of different reasons uh, for that. But I'm saying he's more comfortable with the with the playbook. I'm suggesting that he's yeah. more comfortable with the playbook. I think that was, you know, when I said to Logan Thomas, when I had him on the show two weeks ago, I said, what is the big difference between Taylor Heineke and why, why do you guys love Taylor Heineke so much? What's the big difference? And he said, he just really knows the playbook. He's been in this system. It's a hard system to learn. He's been in it for so long, and he really knows it. And I said, well, was that the big issue with Carson? He said, I think it was, but Carson's really been coming along, you know, uh, you know, d- d- while t- Taylor's been um, playing. Logan Thomas being a former quarterback and sort of understanding the playbook, although he has not played well recently. Um yeah. So what did you – for those of you that didn't see it, it doesn't make sense to play it because you have to see the video of it, really. That's what does it justice. But the commanders put out um, on their social media account uh, a video of Ron Rivera, uh, c- guys walking in to Ron Rivera's um, uh, office and 
and, and Ron Rivera telling them that they were or into a coach's room and Ron Rivera telling them that they had made the Pro Bowl. But Ron, you know, looking very serious, like, you know, we got to talk. I got to tell you something. And it was Tressway and it was John Allen and, and it was Terry McLaurin. And then the most emotional part, and I have to admit, watching it, I thought it was really emotional and I thought it was well done, was Jeremy Reeves. Jeremy Reeves is the, uh, the special teams pro bowler in the NFC. Terry McLaurin is a backup receiver. John Allen is a starter. Tressway is a starter. Um, and then Deron Payne was an alternate. Montez Sweat was a first alternate was Deron Payne. Second alternate was Montez Sweat. What did you think of the video? I thought it was as good as anything that they've done on social media all year long. At least as good. If, you, if that didn't touch you, then you, you've got a heart of stone. Obviously, that was a great video. I watched it multiple times. I retweeted it, and uh, it's it's the one one of the best things they put out that I can remember. Period. Yeah. Rod should bring in all his players to cry in front of him. That they should do this on a weekly basis. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, then it would be a bit <laughs> self-serving. I, I the, the Jeremy Reeves story um, is really incredible, and I and I saw it was hold on because I, I liked the tweet. Who tweeted it? Ross Tucker. And it really Ross Tucker. And it really must have been. Oh, I mean, considering this is this is a this is a a, 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 a training camp cut kind of guy through some of his career to have gotten that news really must have been. Overwhelming for me. Here's the, I could see why here's, he was so here, here's the career. You ready? Ross Tucker tweeted it out. In May of 2018, he signed as an undrafted free agent by Philadelphia. He's waived on September 1st, 2018. On September 12th, 2018, he signed to the practice squad here in Washington. And then I'm not going to give you every date, but I'm just going to read it to you. Then he's released from the practice squad, signed to the practice squad, signed to the active roster from the practice squad, waived, signed to the practice squad, signed to the active roster from the practice squad, waived, signed to the practice squad, signed to the active roster from the practice squad waived signed to the practice squad signed to the active roster from the practice squad returned to the practice squad signed to the active roster from the practice squad returned to the practice squad signed to the active roster from the practice squad returned to the practice squad now we're into 2022 signed to the active roster from practice squad returned to the practice squad um this was by the way early in 22 january and then on january 8th 2022 signed to the active roster from the practice squad this is the example of the guy that is just, for whatever reason, they, 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 he's just not good enough, but at the same time, there's something about him that coaches love, and they just don't want to get rid of him because they see something in him, but he went to South Alabama. He wasn't drafted. There's no pedigree, you know, um, and so that is really the story of incredible persistence from a guy and to see him get that emotional. And I, I know, I remember the story he lost his mother only about a year ago as well. That was phenomenal. And by the way, he has had a hell of a year. I'll be honest with you. I was a bit surprised that he was a pro bowler. Um, I didn't realize that he was on the verge of being a pro bowler. I thought he, I think he's been outstanding on special teams, but I just haven't followed the special teams players from throughout the NFC. So I didn't think about him as a potential pro bowler, but that was awesome. Really awesome. That was the best part of it. It really was. And when he said, I'll, I mean, run, I'll run through a, a wall for, for you, it, coach. 
You got to root for that guy. Absolutely. Got to root for that guy. Um, yeah, he uh, he really was something. Re- remember um, the safety for Carolina that was available um why am I blanking on his name? He was big-time safety for Carolina. He became available. He was sort of being blackballed a little bit by the league for uh, – was it his vaccination stance or was it something else? I forget what, what he – Eric Reed. Eric Reed, thank you. Eric, thank Eric you. Reed. Eric Reed, thank yeah. you. And Ron basically said, you know, um, we'll sign you, but you've got to go on the practice squad. And he didn't want to do that. And then Ron said, well, I've yeah. got – and Ron said – uh, to reporters, I remember, I've got guys like Jeremy Reeves who have been living on practice squad and then getting called up. We're trying to build a culture here, basically, and I'm not going to bring somebody in and who hasn't proven it here and just put him right above somebody who's been earning it. And I think, you know, in watching that video, and I know I've said this before about Ron, and not everybody agrees, and I'm not talking about his coaching, I think he has a real ability to connect to young people in a football locker room and lead them and mentor them. And I think there's a tremendous respect in Ron Rivera from players. I think you saw that when he got fired in Carolina, all the people that came out. Yes. Um, and I think you saw that even in that video, just a, a glimpse of it. We've heard, you know, a lot about how well respected he is by that locker room. And his number one job when he came to Washington, was to change the culture. Now, he's never going to be given the opportunity as long as Dan Snyder owns the team, and hopefully we're coming to that end, um, to change the culture of the entire organization. But he has changed the culture of that locker room. You know, by the players he's selected and by the players he's decided to move on from. And, you know, I was thinking about that a little bit this morning because, you know, one of the players he decided to move on from is one of those players that I don't think he should have moved on from. But it was a guy that was not bought in completely to Rivera and the organization. And that was Trent Williams, who they will face on Saturday. You know, he wanted he wanted a contract extension. And Ron said, I'm not giving anybody a contract extension until I get to know everybody. That remember his stance coming in in 2020. I'm not giving people yeah. contract extensions until I know what I have. I'm not taking anybody else's word for it. You know, nobody that was here before me is going to convince me of anything until I see it myself. And Trent didn't think that that you know Trent had a problem with it. And Ron said, "Fine, if you're not all in with what we're doing, we will move you." Now, ultimately, they moved him for a third and fifth round pick to the 49ers. And that's where you just look at this organization and say, my God, if you had been more proactive a year ago, you could have gotten a lot more, um, just like with Cousins, et cetera. But, um, you know, the th- one of the picks, I was looking at this this morning, one of the picks turned out to be Benjamin St. Juice, the third round pick. Uh, that they got from the 49ers from, for, uh, for Trent Williams in 2021 was Benjamin St. Juice. The fifth rounder they got in 2020 was Keith Ishmael, the center, um, who, interestingly, Tommy, I was like, is he still on the practice squad? Uh, he is on a practice squad. He's on the 49ers practice squad. So the player that Washington <laughs> used 
uh, the pick that Washington used from the 49ers, the fifth rounder in 2020, the player they selected is now back with the 49ers on their practice squad. But anyway, the Jeremy Reeves part of that and him saying, I'd run through a brick wall for you, coach. And the respect, the the Tressway part was great. Um, You know, Terry was obviously not super surprised, nor should he have been, that he's a pro bowler. Same with John. Um, I'm a little upset that Deron Payne uh, isn't a pro bowler, but first alternate's pretty good. I think the the real um, interesting thing will be, is John Allen going to be a, a, an all-pro this year? I think he's got a chance to be an all-pro, and I hope he ends up I think know, he does, absolutely. Getting that. Um, yes. 21 of the 44 NFC pro bowlers are from the NFC East. Nearly half. What a year for the NFC East. Philly's yeah. got eight, Dallas has seven, Washington four, and the Giants have two. Pretty impressive. Uh, okay. what? Um, I had a couple of other things for you, including we've got to get your pick, and we should talk about what you're doing for Christmas. I'll talk about that probably on tomorrow's show, um, but we'll get to all of that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code, KevinDC, and they'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Tommy, I mentioned this on the podcast yesterday. Um, and now um, the, the actual uh, over-under number is moving up. But the Saints play the Browns on Saturday. Temperature is supposed to be 11 degrees with 30-mile-per-hour winds. And the total yesterday at my bookie was 31 and a half. And it would have been the lowest NFL over under number since 2008 and one of the lowest of all time. Actually, there were back in 1993, there were two games where the NFL total was 28. I can't even believe that. I mean, in 1993, I was betting football and I don't remember 28. Um, But uh, that number is up to 32 and a half right now. Meantime, the 49ers are down to seven. They're just a seven-point favorite over Washington. Smell test will be on tomorrow's show, and there's no smell test pick for tonight's game, the Jacksonville Jet game. Uh, but I think Washington looks like the right side. I really do. I think there's a chance Washington plays the 49ers much tougher than people think. The total's uh, very low. It's 38. 
I mean, could we see a 20 to 16 kind of a game? Maybe. I mean, the def- this is going to be the best defense that Brock Purdy has faced since he took over as the starting quarterback. Uh, so we'll see. Is Benjamin St. Juice playing he this is. Saturday? He is. I mean, they missed him, obviously, in the Giants game. They did, no doubt. Um, yeah. So uh, I think that this – I don't know. I, I have a just a gut feel that this is going to be a much more competitive game than we think. And I think that what, I think the reason the line is coming down uh, is that there's some sharp money on Washington and the sharp money would be there because they think that this is the best defense that Brock Purdy has faced. And Brock Purdy was a third-string quarterback. It's amazing, isn't it, that they have a third-string quarterback and nobody is really downgrading this team. That's just how good the 49ers are everywhere, uh, defensively running game and their talent. And, by the way, the coach – Gets a yes. hell of a lot of respect from odds makers. Yes. Um, what's your pick on the game Sunday? Well, I like the 49ers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the 49ers to win 24 to 20. I think Washington is a good bet to uh, uh, to on the right side of this. I think it they will not, not that they'll play them closer, but the overall score will be closer. I don't think it'll be an indication that the game was actually close. Hmm. I think it'll wind up 24-20, uh, San Francisco. I mean, it's it's really interesting because if Washington is able to pull off another stunner to to beat basically two of the top three teams in the NFC, record, like re- record-wise, with Philadelphia. with Philadelphia, right? then I think <laughs> – I think there would be a lot of discussion about Washington. Look out if they make it. They're the ones that have beaten the heavyweights in the conference. Um, And I think there's a a lot of people already that think that Washington would be a tough out. You know, I was thinking about this, Tommy, that, you know, all of the goodwill um, that they've built up over this, you know, that run of of six, one and one, five, one and one with Taylor that is now five, two and one or six, two and one, if you consider the Chicago game. If somehow, like, they lose to the 49ers and then they lose one of the last two and they finish 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one, and they miss the postseason, what will be the opinion of the team that for, you know, a month and a half anyway, people started to get excited about and thought was a pretty good team? Will it will – it... I think it'll be I – think, I think it'll be same old commanders. I think it will. I mean, they'll look at the record and they'll say – 500 Ron Rivera. That's what they'll look at. Well, 500 Ron Rivera would be the best record he's had if he goes 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one since That's he's true. here. So, but what but, if the, but, but that I, th- I think I think they'll just think that this team under Rivera and they may be uh is incapable of, of making the big leap. Uh that may be true, but we'll, we won't know until he has a real quarterback. It's, it would be interesting with respect to the narrative about how the, he always gets it together and they play really well late if really what it came down to is he actually gets his team to play really well in the middle because last year at 6-6, six and six, you know, they cratered. Now, a lot of that had to do yeah. with injuries and COVID, et cetera. This year, though, it doesn't. And they're facing a daunting task um, and then another one that won't be easy against Cleveland. And then Dallas, who knows what that game will be. But I think if it goes south here, like they lose to the Niners and they lose one of the other two and they finish 8-8-1 and and they miss the postseason, 
um, I think it's going to be pretty harsh um, uh, as yeah. as an overall evaluation. And I think everybody's going to point to the Giants and they're going to say, you had back-to-back games against a team that you've just got better players than. And you came out of that, you know, 0-1-1. And, and that was your season right there. You know, losing to the 49ers is, you know, expected. Uh, a home game against Cleveland on January 1st is going to be a game that most people are going to expect Washington to win. Now, I, I mentioned yesterday at my bookie, it's two and a half. Washington's a two and a half point favorite in the look ahead line with, uh, with Cleveland. So it's not like a lock that they're going to beat the Browns. The Browns have good players and they're still in the playoff race as well. If they beat the Saints, they'll come here with something to play for on New Year's Day. Um, but it would be interesting. And they have a quarterback who you have to assume is becoming more familiar with playing again and Deshaun Watson and getting a little bit better every week. Right. So I think for me, if they don't make the postseason and let's just say they lose two out of the final three, which would be, you know, losing three out of the final four um, and, you know, throw in the tie out of the last five games, I still think I would get to the end of that and feel differently about, say, 8-8-1 eight, eight, and one and no playoff than I thought I would feel um, before the season began. And I'll explain. I, I think I, I'm much more convinced that their players are pretty good players, that they have, you know, their defense really became the defense we thought it was going to become last year. And the players in particular, and of course, you know, Deron Payne's a big part of it, and so we'll see what happens in the offseason. But they have good players on defense, good young players on defense. They have exceptional skill position players on offense, including, you know, their third round pick in Brian Robinson Jr., who looks so much more like a keeper now than he did early on. And there are obvious reasons for that. He's he's gotten healthier and he's getting better. Um, so, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, I think that people will be harsh on the finish, but at the same time, I think I'll walk away from it thinking it's true, but they played a lot of these 50, 50 games when they were winning these games, they were all kind of coin flip games, but overall, I think they've got good players and they just have to find a quarterback. And if they find a quarterback, they've got a chance to be a pretty good team. That's a big ask, understood, and it's a hard thing to accomplish. But I think that they're much closer than they've been in a while. The question is, then, you're the new owner. Do you fire the coach? No. Well, you have a guy that you've eyed up for a while now that you want to be your coach. Tell me who it is. I don't know who it is. Okay. I'm just saying who it is. Right. I'm just saying you're the new owner. You've got a team that has studied this, and they've picked out the next hot young offensive coordinator, uh, and you've got a defensive coach as your head coach uh, in an offensive league, although you might not think that this year. Uh, you wouldn't fire Ron. I mean, I, I, I need, I understand the, what you're saying, but I need to know who that person is. If you're telling me that the new owner is going to hire Sean Payton and then they're going to trade for Aaron Rodgers, I'm all in. I'm all in for okay. that. But if you're telling me it's the hot new coach 
and it's you know another guy that they, they like as general manager and they're going to start from scratch, it's their prerogative, and I'm going to be all on board because the new owner is going to be a, a total game changer for a lot of us. But I do think you could do a lot worse than Ron Rivera and staff. You know, I think that there's been a culture change with the football operation. I'm not suggesting that I think he's, you know, the right coach to lead them to a five to ten year run of, you know, Super Bowl contention and divisions won and playoff games won. Um, but from where they were, I think they've made progress with him. And so, you know, for now, it really doesn't matter anyway, more likely than not, Tommy, because the new owner, when they take over, it's going to be too late to swap out coaching staffs and even front offices. So I think he's good for 2023. Um, And in some ways, I think he's earned it. You know, he said this third year was going to be the big year, like this is the year we start, you know, being a contender. And they still are a contender for a playoff spot, but they're really not a contender to do a lot when they get there. Um, But I think they are closer than they've been in a long, long time from a football player and roster standpoint. Anyway, uh, I want to find out what you're doing for Christmas. I also have some television ratings numbers for Washington uh, games on television here locally. We've talked about that a little bit, but we haven't we hadn't seen any numbers, but they're out now. Share that with you uh, and everybody else when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
This final segment of the show brought to you by Window Nation. Window Nation's giving you an opportunity right now to buy new windows, pay half price because you'll get two free windows with every two you buy, and they're going to give you 0% interest for five full years on new windows. That's no interest payments for 60 months in addition to the buy two, get two free. Uh, Temperatures, as we know, are going to be plummeting tomorrow. Energy costs are going to be higher than they've been forever, really, uh, in our lifetime. Window Nation will give you new windows that will help you save big-time money and also upgrade the look and feel of your home. If you've been thinking about new windows, call Window Nation, 866-90-NATION. Mention my name. Go to windownation.com. They'll give you a free estimate, and then you can benefit from buy two, get two free, and 0% interest for five full years on new windows. Again, that's 866-90-NATION and windownation.com. Uh, so, Tommy, I, I just saw this and I was just going to share this with everybody real quickly because um, I had not seen any uh, television ratings numbers, local numbers, for the Skins games this year. And our friend Eric on Twitter um, uh, sent this tweet out, uh, and it was from uh, uh, Sports TV Ratings. They put out all the local team market numbers, uh, and this was through week 14, so this would have been through last week. Um, give you an idea of the top five, Buffalo did a 43.1 rating for all of their games on TV in the Buffalo market. Kansas City's at a 42.1. Uh, the Packers are at a 33.6. The Saints are at a 33.6. Pittsburgh came in fifth with a 32.4. Washington is 24th out of 32 teams with a 13.6 average rating on local television numbers. Um, The share number's not as bad. It's a 40. That's 17th um, overall in the league. But the rating at 13.6, give you an idea, you know, 10 years ago that number would be 23.6. 15 years ago it would have been 28.6. 20 years ago it would have been in the 30s. All right? Um, The playoff game that they had against Seattle Remember, after the 2012 season, did a 50 rating locally. 50. Uh, the game against Green Bay in the postseason did like a 39 rating, 38 rating, something like that. Washington hasn't seen a number approaching anything resembling that uh, in years. And the 13.6 overall as a local TV, TV rating is really, really low uh, for a team with its kind of history in this kind of a market. Um, just not very good. Uh, so while, you know, we all talk, uh, incessantly about the team here, um, not as many people are watching the games and we certainly know not, not as many people are going to the games as they used to, uh, either. All right. Uh, let's finish this thing up. What are you doing for Christmas? Well, we'll be heading up to Philadelphia to one of my, uh, sis- my sister-in-law's house. Uh, in West Philly, uh, and we usually stay overnight in a hotel in downtown Philly. You We're do? staying in a nice, yeah, we always stay over in a nice hotel overnight and come back the next day because, you know, I don't, I don't like to drive back like at 9 o'clock at night on Christmas night right? Uh, from Philly back home. Uh, and it'll be a big gathering, you know, my, my wife's family has seven brothers and sisters, uh, it'll it'll be a big gathering, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. 
and I'm, I'm on the uh, the Miramar Beach countdown after that. That's right. That's coming soon. When do you head to Florida? December, December 31st. We, we get in the car. And we get there January 1st. There you go. Driving on down to Miramar Beach. That'll be fun. That's right. God, I could go for some warm weather. You know, you know who I might see down there? Who's that? Voodoo Jack. Jack Del Rio. Apparently, he has a house down there. Well, you won't see him down there in early January, and, you know... No, but eventually... Eventually. I, I, might, I might run into Jack in a bar <laughs> or, or something like and that. And what would you say to or Jack? In, if you, would you go up in... the Young Republicans Club meeting? I don't know. Would Who you, knows? Would you, I don't think it would be the Young Republicans meeting. Um, would you go no. up and say hello to him? No, I wouldn't do that. Why? Why would I do that? I don't know. Introduce yourself? Cover the team no. for the Washington Times? No, I wouldn't do that. Not because I'm afraid. I just think he could care less, and it would be intrusive. Mm, okay. So. Um, any thoughts on Although Franco? Jack Del Rio can be a pretty scary guy, from what I've heard. Any thoughts on Franco <laughs> Harris? Uh, look, I I grew up in the 70s really watching pro football, mm. and the Steelers were it. And it's so funny because when I first started watching football in the 60s, I mean, the Steelers had a 40-year record of, of mediocrity. Yeah. They're terrible, you know? Uh, and, uh, and they became the gold standard in the 70s with, with uh, rosters full of Hall of Famers. And Franco Harris was one of them. I remember Franco Harris when he played in the same backfield with Lydell Mitchell at Penn State. Right. I mean, I remember watching those teams play, those Joe Paterno Teams. That was a remarkable backfield. And uh, I, I don't have a Franco Harris story. A lot of people do. And a lot of people have been telling him online, and they're all good. He seemed like a very smart, warm guy. Uh, he was an interesting runner because he used to get criticized for not taking punishment, for running out of bounds, for not being uh, a I, Jim Brown-like punishing runner. I'm glad you brought that up because I talked a lot about – the immaculate reception game um, in the wake of Franco Harris's death, which I was planning on doing anyway because it's the 50-year anniversary of that game tomorrow, and they're going to remember that game, you know, on Christmas Eve, and that's why the Steelers Raiders were scheduled for that night. And I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday afternoon who listened to me uh, on the podcast, and he said, "You remember what they used to say about Franco, right?" And I said, "Yeah, he ran out of bounds a lot. He didn't want to take hits. Sometimes he'd put his hand up and say." I'm running out of bounds. And I remember there were backs like Walter Payton who criticized uh, Franco Harris for that. But he was a hell of a back. He, he was, you know, he was a, an excellent running back. Great vision. Great, by the way, great hands out of the backfield. He was a great back. But Tommy, he gained 12,000 yards I know, rushing. I know he did. But, I mean, he's still in the top 15 in, in NFL history. Yep. In rushing yards. So, yeah, I mean, if, because he was, a, he was not stupid enough that he was dribbling his food in old age because he took so many hits. No, I'm not going to criticize him for that. Well, <laughs> I mean, we don't know. I, I don't know why he passed away at the age of 72. It was, certainly seemed like it was sudden. But anyway, no, he was a great back. But I'm, I'm glad you remembered that because I was going to mention that that was the criticism of him, especially from other great backs. Um, but, I, Tommy, yeah. you mentioned the Hall of Famers, and I, I, I went through the list. 
there were 13 players who played in the Immaculate Reception game that eventually played in the Hall of Fame. And there were seven others, including Chuck Knoll, John Madden, Art Rooney, and Al Davis, who were also in the stadium for working on, on uh, for both of those teams that ended up in the Hall of Fame. What 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 a uh, a, a, a game and what me- memories of those two teams that you know the Steelers yeah. that was the beginning they would end up having all of these other uh, Hall of Famers that would join them and uh, join them in the coming years like Swan and Stallworth and Shell and Dungey and Lambert and Webster um, the Raiders by the way had Blanda Stabler Bolitnikoff Otto Shell Upshaw Willie Brown and Cliff Branch was a punt returner on that team and he would eventually make the Hall of Fame actually just recently as part of the senior um, uh, committee yeah. uh, entrant uh, in, into the Hall of Fame but uh, anyway um, all right what else you got but why does football seem so much better back then it just did well as a child I, mean, I can't explain that. as a child of the 70s I remember so many of those games and for me too the reason I think football became so important to me is because George Allen was the coach and the Redskins were great like if if I had grown up with the Redskins being terrible, like my kids have, I wonder if I would have yeah. ever loved football as much as I loved football. I mean, the, George Allen's seventy-one team is the first team I remember. I remember the seventy-two playoff game. Tommy, I mentioned this yesterday. The Immaculate Reception game was the Saturday early game. The late game was the game in which Staubach brought the Cowboys back from 28-13 down in the final few minutes to beat the 49ers at Candlestick, which was a very memorable uh, playoff game. And then the following week, and I don't know if you remember this, Pittsburgh hosted the AFC Championship game against the undefeated Dolphins. Imagine, and this was this was what it was back then, you didn't earn home field with the best record. It was a rotating divisional thing. And it was that that year. It was the AFC Central's turn to host the championship game. So the fourteen and O Dolphins played a road game in the championship game to get to the Super Bowl, which is nuts. And they won. They won a close game against the Steelers, and then beat the Redskins in the Super Bowl. But I think that was the last year of the rotation um, of uh, of divisions uh, for the championship game. You know, what, yeah, what, go ahead. What? what one thing, I'm looking at the list of all-time rushers, and I guess I didn't realize this. Mm-hmm. Warwick Dunn is 23rd on the list of all-time rushers. I knew he was a great, a terrific back, but I don't really, I didn't realize he aver- he, he, he gained over 10,000 yards rushing. Warwick Dunn, he, he was five foot nine. Why? And weighed 187 pounds. Why did you hone in on Warwick Dunn? What made you do that? Because his name popped up on the list. Uh-huh. He's twenty third on the list of all time rushers, and I didn't, I didn't expect to see that. I knew he was a good back. I figured he had seven, eight thousand yards rushing, but he's in the top twenty five of, of of in NFL history, and he was he was five foot nine and not even two hundred pounds. Where's Rigo? He's got to be the smallest guy in the list. I don't have the list up. I'm pulling it up right now. But where's Rigo on the list? Is he still like in the top eleven or twelve? Well, I don't think he's in the top eleven or twelve. He's not. He might be. Uh, here it is. I'll have to... Where's Rigo? Rigo's nineteenth. You know. Yeah. For a long time. So who's passed him? Fred Taylor. Uh, well, Franco's top. passed. Well, Franco would have passed him a long time ago. Obviously, I'm looking right. for 
Um, yeah. Frank Gore. By the way, Frank Steven Gore. Jackson. Frank Gore's son set the bowl game record with like 340 yards rushing last weekend in a bowl game. Um, Frank Gore, Adrian Peterson, um, Bettis, Falk, James, uh, Fred Taylor. These are the guys that have passed him more recently. Okay, like in this century. Because um, Riggo, when he retired, I think was still like top 10 or top 12 all time. Is, uh, with yeah, I, he yeah. was top 10, I think. Yeah. God, looking at this list, I mean, you you, you picked out Warwick Dunn. Like, I don't know. I don't think I would have ever put that Fred Taylor was number 17 on the all-time rushing list. That's a good point. I mean, Curtis Martin. He was. He was Curtis Martin's he was always the one. In Jacksonville. Curtis Martin was always the one because at one point he was like third on the list, third or fourth on the list. And Peterson yeah. passed him and Frank Gore passed him. And Curtis Martin, to me, with the greats, Emmett Smith, you know, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, uh, you know, Dorsett and Brown, et cetera, never passed the eye test as much as those guys. But, man, did he accumulate some yardage over the years. And he's yeah. in the and he's in yeah. the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was a, he was a really good back, but I never, I, I I'll tell you, I never thought Bettis was. Uh, I don't think Bettis to me during his career. I know he is eighth. I'm looking at it right now on the all time list. I never felt like Bettis was like an obvious Hall of Famer. I think you and I had that argument many years ago, or maybe I had it with somebody yeah, else. I, did. Um, I always did. Jim Brown is eleventh on the list. And he hasn't played football in almost 60 years. And he also only played for nine <laughs> seasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, Tommy. Uh, Merry Christmas uh, to you and Liz and the family. Have fun. Uh, you know, if you stayed in town, we could have just gone down to Shelley's Christmas Eve and hung out and had a cigar, eaten some of that great food, had a couple of cocktails and celebrated it together. Too bad we didn't do that. that you know, that would have been great. It sounds tempting. At this point, listen, if you're still out there, uh, if you're out there rushing around for a Christmas present for, for your significant other, uh, and I'm not, I'm not excluding females out of this as well, but for your husband uh, or, or your boyfriend or your son, Shelly's Back Room is a great option. Uh, they, they sell gift cards that you can sell, and if you want to go in and actually buy a couple of cigars, they've got a great selection of cigars, some of the top cigars rated by Cigar Aficionado. Like they have the Ashton VSG Robusto Oof. at, at Shelley's. Do you that, know what VSG stands for? I actually don't. I'm not a cigar guy, as you know, so I don't. What does VSG stand for? I don't know. Virgin Sun Grown. Uh huh. And what does that mean? Doesn't that sound exciting? It does. Vir- virgin sun grown. It s- sounds exciting for some, if that's your thing. Um, but what does that mean yeah. when it comes to cigars? I'm not sure, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> okay. it, it sounds interesting, yes. I would take anything that's virgin sun grown. Okay, because okay? I, I, just, I, just I just Googled VSG and I got vertical sleeve gastrectomy surgery. So that's a little bit different, I think, than what we're talking about with cigars. Yes. Okay. Yes, that's different. They also have the Cohiba Blue Churchill. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got the Grand Marnier Torpedo. Uh, they, Is they that got VSG? Are those VSG? No, they're not. Okay. Well, not every cigar is, is virgin sun-grown. Well, I would imagine you know, not. That, that doesn't make... So, 
I'll just point out, you could walk into Shelly's and say, I want to buy a, a, a handful of cigars for my guy, and they'll help you pick out a great selection. Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street Northwest in the district. I can only imagine what's on the holiday menu. It's a great spot, too, in a, in a great part of town. All right, Merry Christmas yes. to you and the family. We will talk on Tuesday uh, following a long holiday weekend. Merry Christmas to you and everybody out there, boss. I'll be back tomorrow with Cooley. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.